So what's going on? It's uh, Jared Atkins coming to you live, solo, for another uh, Weeknight Chronicles edition. It is a little after 11 o'clock on Thursday night, September 29th. Tomorrow is the last day of the month, and uh, I want to boost a little download, so I just got home from Indianapolis like 30 minutes ago from this week-long work trip I left for Monday morning. So, uh, obviously Kurt Kelly's not with me. Kurt's probably working tomorrow, so he's, uh, guarantee he's in bed, so, and, uh, I'm unable to pull out all the recording equipment, so we're going to do another mobile solo shot right here on my phone, and, uh, I have no format in front of me. All I have open in front of me right now is, uh, ESPN on my computer, and we're going to go through and uh, just pick some stuff. We're just going to do a Weeknight Chronicles episode just to get something out of there because there's one day left in the month and I'm trying to boost a little little analytics here. So just roll with me, I guess. And I want to start with some sad news coming out of the NFL that uh, i seen on my way home this evening on the, the ride home come across my phone, uh, and that is about the former Dallas Cowboys tight end Gavin Escobar, who was found dead yesterday in uh, what appears to be a fatal rock climbing accident uh, somewhere in uh, California, uh, near either near or in the San Bernardino National Forest. Uh, he was climbing uh, with a young female, and apparently, they found him and her um, both dead uh, yesterday. Uh, a couple of people that were climbing apparently stumbled upon them and found the bodies, alerted, uh, alerted authorities. Uh, it looked like, from what I read, that there had been um, a significant amount of rainfall that had happened in the area uh, earlier that day and in the evening prior. They don't know if weather contributed to it, like a landslide, rock slide type thing or not. Escobar, you might remember, uh, he was a second-round pick in 2013. He spent three seasons with the Cowboys. He's also a former Chief, Raven, and I don't remember him playing for Cleveland and Miami, but he also did stints there. He last played in the NFL about four or five seasons ago. Uh, he had been, he was currently working as a firefighter in Long Beach, California. 
uh, uh, as of earlier this year. Uh, unfortunately for Gavin Escobar, he uh, he leaves behind a wife and two young children, which is extremely heartbreaking to have that happen uh, so young. He was 30, uh, 31 years of age. Um, just heartbreaking. I remember his stints in Dallas, Kansas City, and Baltimore. I don't remember him being in Cleveland and Miami. I thought he was a solid tight end. He was never going to be... Uh, unfortunately, you don't want to talk, speak ill of the dead, and I'm not. He was never going to be Canton-bound, uh, but he was solid. If you needed to plug and play uh, for your team for a day or if you needed a solid second tight end to run two tight end set. But uh, regardless, it's, it's, it's tragic to see somebody make it to the NFL and survive and get out with all their wits about them, especially with all the CTE that goes on that's so prevalent these days. And then uh, especially when you give your life to service, like being a firefighter, um, just a sad thing. So uh, prayers go to the Escobar friends and family as they navigate through this tough time. Moving on, uh, like I said, I don't have a format. I just uh, I've been I've been in the mood to record all week because there's been a lot of good news that's popped in around the world of sports this week, and I was just in the mood to record. And I just got home, and we're you know just for analytics, so I have no format. Basically, what I'm telling you that is we're probably going to be bouncing all around because I'm just ripping off ESPN. I have no format in front of me, so it's just wherever my finger uh, clicks. Uh, I did want to touch on, of course, uh, what happened. What was it yesterday or the day before with Aaron Judge tying Roger Maris's uh, Yankees record, 61 home runs? Holy crap. Uh, I remember when Judge first got called up. It was, how many years ago was that now? Three, four, five, six, whenever it was. Uh, he had a lot of hype about him. And he's certainly been, uh, I don't want to call him a face. He, he, well, maybe you could. He's been a face for the franchise for the last few years. Um, and then, I mean, he's paid dividends for him this year. Right now, with uh, how, mu- how much time we got left in the season? What, a week? Maybe a little less? Maybe a little more? Uh, of course, if the season ended today, uh, the Yankees would probably be the two or the three seed. I'd say probably the two seed. Because, no, Houston's got to be the one seed in the AL. LA's got to be the one seed in the wet uh, in the National League. So, um, hats off to Aaron Judge. I should have saved this for Kurt, but whatever. Um, Sixty-one home runs. He's tied. So, which means, I mean, he's still got a chance. He's got a chance to 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 crush that yet. Um, and that's scary. That's scary. Um, and I'll give you a little more food for thought here. Uh, Aaron Judge is going to have contract talks coming soon. And uh, Kurt will love this. Kurt's all about contracts, specifically the contracts in Major League Baseball, which are the worst of the big four because they're the most money for whatever reason. Uh, Judge is looking at a $300 million-plus contract, I guarantee you. 
you know, they'll go seven years, 250, eight years, nine years. You could probably see even 10 years, 300, $325 million offered, $400 million offered. That's, uh, that's just crazy. Uh, nobody saw it coming this season, I don't think. Um, you knew he was going to be decent. I don't think anybody saw him tying the record. And, I, and you know, he's probably going to break the record. And hats off to him. You know, good for the Yankees. The Yankees do Yankee things. And uh, I bet the ALCS comes down to Yankees-Astros. I'll go ahead and throw my hat in on that. ALCS, Yankees-Astros. We'll see what happens. One other baseball thing I wanted to bring about, because Kurt loves when I do callbacks. Uh, by callbacks, when I reference stuff from past episodes. Uh, and I think we either talked about this in a past episode, or Kurt and I talked about it off-air, because uh, we exchanged a lot of texts talking about the show. And I don't remember, it's either a callback to some text, or a previous Weeknight Chronicles episode, but um, Major League Baseball uh, introduced uh, pitch clocks to cut the time of minor league games down. Uh, And uh, Kurt and I really touched on that in the very, the third episode we did, which was, uh, you know, how to save the MLB, where uh, Kurt sat down for an hour and a half and I made him the commissioner of Major League Baseball and the things that he would institute. And he assigned me as his assistant commissioner. And this was, uh, this was June of last year, June of 2021. And I said one of the things I would do would be institute a pitch clock. Well, they did that in AAA. Um, and uh, they reviewed it. And it, the report came out uh, earlier this week that it cut uh, almost a half an hour off minor league baseball games. So don't be surprised if Major League Baseball, you know, is. Uh, you know, it, it's coming because I should say, don't be surprised. It is coming. I see it right here in front of me now. Uh, remember, Kurt and I talking about this. Uh, Major League Bounce. Oh, shit, I can't talk. The MLB announced that next year, 15 seconds with no runners and 20 seconds with runners, which uh, the MLB Players Association has, you know, threw a, a conniption fit about. Now, pitchers are going to be penalized for a ball for violating the clock, which is, you know, basically, you don't get the pitch off, batter gets a walk, and of course, you know, you don't want to put anybody on base. So, you know, that's long been a thing with with a lot of people that talk about why they don't enjoy baseball is because the game is too long. Well, and that's one of the things Kurt had brought up. Speeding up the game of baseball might put asses in the seats and boost the ratings of Major League Baseball. Well, now here you go. This pitch clock. It'll be interesting to see what happens uh, next year in 2023. Uh, I'm not opposed to that. And, I lo- and I'm a baseball purist for the most part like Kurt is. So I'm absolutely 100% not against this. And uh, it'll be... <laughs> It'll be really interesting to see what happens. So, looking forward to that. Um, 
one thing I'm going to bring up here, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. You can go back to uh, you can go back to our last couple of Weeknight Chronicles episodes where we've talked about this. Uh, the Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver, of course, the the deal with the the racism and the sexual harassment. And here you have a case of for the second time, third time, what now in a decade or so. You've got another NBA owner being forced out because of his own actions. So shame on him. Uh, and he's forced to sell a team. Uh, so right now the team's not been sold. It's in the mark. It's in the running to be sold. Uh, as far as I know, I should say to this day, to, as of right now, it has not been sold. Man, I cannot talk, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize. I'm just running high on adrenaline. Um, I had a good week. We were splicing... Uh, 5G fiber for uh, Verizon Wireless, 5G internet, and cell phone towers and everything. So, uh, basically, if you want to know more, I'm not getting in this because this would dominate the entire episode. Uh, just know, like I said, we've talked about this in the last couple of uh, episodes, I think. Sarver's uh, trying to sell a team, and the NBA is completely 100% behind him. They want this guy gone. They want him completely washed from the league. Uh, sexual harassment, racial allegations, a, a whole bunch of stuff. So he's going bye-bye and uh, good for that. It's, you know, I bitch all the time that I miss the 90s because it was an edgy era. And, and I do. In a lot of ways, I do. I miss the 90s for a lot of shit. But in 2022, there's absolutely no fucking room on this planet for anybody to be openly racist, openly homophobic, uh, openly predatory in a sexual way like fuck you people that are like that and uh i completely support the removal of people like that so i mean that's why vince mcmahon's gone you know the relationship with some of these women may have been consensual with him some may have not have been either way you know tis tis tisk so talking about vince mcmahon the relationships but so if you want to know more about the sarver story uh, Google it. It's a very lengthy read on any news outlet you choose to find it on. So I got one little piece of NBA news I want to talk about, and then uh, I'm probably going to table anything NBA related. Um, our new anchor, our third anchor officially, uh, Ethan Doyle, Dole, man, Kurtz Dole. Uh, he he's going to be making his debut episode coming up soon. Him and I are going to sit down and. Uh, I still don't know how we're going to do this yet. Um, him and I have got to talk about it, but we're going to do an upcoming NBA season preview. So we'll have a lot of news. Uh, but I want to touch on um, a Forbes article that's, that's come out. Uh, for the eighth year in a row, according to Forbes magazine, and for those of you that know me personally, uh, you know how much I like Forbes magazine. I like anything related to Forbes. I've always, I've always been enamored with Forbes magazine and anything related to Forbes because it all equates to money and success, which is what a lot of us always strive for in life, money and success. And I've always been enamored with that. Well, for the eighth year in a row, Steve Ballmer, who is who took over as the owner of the Clippers organization after they got rid of the last guy, whose name I can't even remember now, the guy that was uh, <laughs> another racist sexual predator owner, we just talked about Sarver. Well, Ballmer, Steve Ballmer bought the Clippers. Uh, Stein. Was it Stein? Wasn't, wasn't it something Stein? 
It don't matter. Uh, but for the eighth year in a row, he's ranked as the richest owner in professional sports. Now, those of you wondering who Ballmer was, he was the CEO of Microsoft from 2000 to 2014. His estimated net worth today sets around 80, 83, 84, 85 billion dollars. Uh, Despite, you know, they say, you know, $13, $14 million in uh, Microsoft's stock dropping, he's also the eighth richest person in the world. So, um, he makes him one of the richest owners in sports. Um, so, that's pretty cool. Uh one thing that's interesting is a Forbes magazine's 400 richest people in the world. Think about this Forbes magazine of the 400 people that they list as the richest in the world. There is 50 sports team owners on the list. Uh, guys like Rob Walton, who purchased the Denver Broncos earlier this year is number two on the list. You know, so, six of the world's ten most valuable franchises are pro football teams. You know, Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavaliers, is on this list. Um, he owned Rocket Mortgage, founded Rocket Mortgage. Jerry Jones, of course, is the Cowboys. He's number seven on the list. So, it's just, it's crazy money. Crazy, crazy money. And I just thought that was cool, and I wanted to share that with you guys. Now, I take it back. Um, I, uh, I, I seen this not tonight, um, I don't know, a day or two ago. She's in the hotel room. I was just, I brought my wireless earbuds with me in case I wanted to podcast, but I was just too busy scrolling, making TikToks and looking at Facebook while I was in the hotel room. So I didn't do anything. Uh, but I'm going to tie my love for the Lakers organization in with my love for pro wrestling. So I seen this the other day. So Jeannie Buss, the owner of the Lakers, of course, we all know about her father, Jerry. Uh, she was a high school athlete. Um, she wants to give young women an opportunity to get in athletics just like the opportunity she was afforded, because I guess the story goes back that Jeannie wanted to be a part of some athletics in school. They wouldn't let her. She ended up making a way, getting there. Excuse me. But she wants the chance to afford these young women to do the same. Well, Jeannie is a partner for the last four or five years in uh, this promotion called Wow Women of Wrestling. Now, uh, for those of you that follow me on Twitter, at the Atkins Asylum, uh, you know that I have... A lot of my wrestling posts this year, particularly when women are in the ring, I have uh, hashtagged it like uh, women's wrestling revolution. Because you look at where professional wrestling's at for women these days now, compared to where they were at when I was in high school, even compared to 10 years ago, it is so much more uh, based in realism. You know, 20 years ago, 20 years ago in 2002, I was an eighth grader. Going into my freshman year, uh, women wrestled in brawl and panty matches. That's what a lot of it was. Two girls would get in the ring. They'd roll around the ring for a little bit. 
the winner would be the person who stripped their opponent to their bra and panties. Okay? They were like five-minute matches. You go back to where we're at today, and three years ago, WrestleMania 35, MetLife Stadium, April 2019, New York City. Women main evented WrestleMania. If you don't know shit about pro wrestling, the one thing you should know when I say WrestleMania is that is the Super Bowl for professional wrestling. No other show in the world compares to it. Okay? And for the first time in WrestleMania history, in 2019, three women, Charlotte Flair, daughter of Ric Flair, Ronda Rousey, and a girl named Becky Lynch, who has become probably the face as far as professional female wrestlers go for the WWE, main event at WrestleMania in 35. Incredible. Never happened before. Well, Jeannie's been involved with women's wrestling, and I love and I love it. It is a revolution. They are getting 25, 30, 45-minute matches. They are drawing. They are main eventing pay-per-views. A few years ago, WWE had an all-women's pay-per-view called Evolution. Like, how cool is that? Well, you might be what I was saying. Um, Jeannie is in, um, involved with WOW Wrestling. Now, about a year ago, Women of Wrestling, WOW, they announced that they had got a distribution deal with Paramount Network. This is what used to be formerly Spike TV. This is where all you Yellowstone fans watch Yellowstones on Paramount. Um, WOW will make its broadcast debut uh, across Paramount-affiliated networks, which would be like your Pluto TV. For all of you that have smart TVs, you all have free Pluto TV on there. Uh, and... Um, they're also going to spread across other platforms. It's going to be better than what they had because they have that deal with Access TV. Uh, where's my vape? Now, Jeannie Buss's whole involvement with this is that her her thought process is: What do you do if you're a, if you're a female athlete um, after college? As far as being a professional athlete, what do you do? You know, she she says. You go to wrestling. It's it's popular with the fans. Now, Jeannie Buzz, who's in her six, early 60s, uh, she says she's never really been a, a wrestling uh, fan. Uh, but she's got a friend of hers in Hollywood who is part of the, the Netflix show uh, Glow, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, which is on Netflix. Um, he got her into wrestling and got hooked. And... Uh, Jeannie just decided to put some of her own money, which wasn't tied to the Lakers organization, into WOW. Um, but just so you think this isn't some fly in the ointment, hair by night thing, uh, Jeannie's really smart business-wise. She's brought in people to run a wrestling company, not outsiders. For instance, the executive producer for their matches and, and their television is a lady by the name of A.J. Mendez. Does any of that sound familiar to any of you wrestling fans out there? Well, it should. That was A.J. Lee in WWE, the wife of one of my favorite wrestlers since I first saw him in 2003 working in, T uh, in uh, Ring of Honor, CM Punk. CM Punk's wife is a hedge, is, is a, you know, a, uh, a head honcho for WoW Wrestling. And Jeannie has come right out and said, I don't know much about the business side of it. She's staying out of the storylines. She's staying out of um, 
the creative process altogether. And she is letting wrestling people run this. And I just think this is great because I can't get enough of, of the women movement in, in all of combat sports. You guys have heard me talk about so much women's boxing on this show and how much Taylor versus Toronto main event in the Madison Square Garden this year will still, in my mind, be the biggest fight of this year when it took place in April. Like, this women's movement in professional wrestling and all of combat sports is absolutely fantastic. Uh, hats off to Jeannie Buss for getting involved with WOW and hats off to what they're doing. And especially a tip of the hat to her for bringing in fucking professional wrestling people. People with backgrounds and experience and careers in the business to run the business instead of TV producers and people that just write television. Oh, God. Love it. And you know what? Why don't we just stick with the women's movement combat sports and let's jump to UFC because Holly Holm has been in the news this week. Everybody remembers Holly Holm, right? She upset Ronda Rousey, become the women's bantamweight champion. Uh, Holly said she's ready to come back to the ring or the octagon, excuse me. Uh, but it probably won't. I don't think it'll happen this year. But, uh, basically, go ahead and call it October. It was a day left in the month. I don't see her coming back. Uh, this year, um, but when she does, she's come out and publicly said that she would love to take on Misha Tate. Misha Tate kicked her ass and took her UFC title back in uh, 2016. I think that was, uh, was that decision? Was that decision? Let's see what that says here. That should have been... No, that was a decisive victory. That was a decision. Took her title on a fifth round submission. So, uh, Holly Holm right now is 14-5 and five in the UFC. Uh, she's currently on the last fight of her UFC contract. She's not had any discussions with them about a new deal. Um, she last fought... When did she last fight? Back in May. Um, I would like to see Holly back. I liked Holly. Uh, she's right now, she's uh, ranked number three in the Bantamweight division. Of course, like we said, uh, you know, she knocked out Ronda Rousey. Uh, you know, nobody saw it coming. So, And that's kind of been her claim to fame. Uh, and then uh, her first title defense after knocking out Rousey is when Misha Tate kicked her ass. And I love Misha Tate. I love Misha Misha Tate. I love women's combat sports. I love all combat sports. I love sports. Me and Kurt missed the boat. Hashtag tits. Two idiots talking sports. We missed the boat completely on that. So now... So, let's stick with combat sports a minute. Let's circle back to boxing real fast. There's only one particular piece of boxing news I want to talk about. Uh, go into our archives. Last week, I did a uh, boxing, boxing, boxing episode. It was just a breakdown of Kennedy Glofkin, Canelo Part 3, plus all the upcoming fights now. And we were talking about the fight that's been rumored for Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury. Well, we got some news about that. And then that news ties into, you know, Fury and Dillian White from 
back in April. So on Monday, Tyson Fury, and I love Tyson Fury, but man, he yaps. He yaps just like Jake Paul yaps. Tyson Fury uh, went on a social media post and said that his interest was no longer now in this fight with Joshua because he posted a deadline to get the contract signed because they're preparing for a December 3rd fight. Okay. And like I said, you go back to our archives just a week or two ago, you can hear all about that uh, in grave detail. Uh, the fight was supposed to happen. Everybody thought they could make it happen. It was just the contract details, and it didn't happen. They've been engaged in these talks for weeks. They even agreed to a 60-40 split. Anthony Joshua did in, fear, in favor of Tyson because Tyson's got to make his nut, and he would have. Uh, but they didn't sign the contract. And, you know, Joshua's coming off uh, a second straight loss to Alexander Usyk, which was a hell of a fight um, back in August. So now Dillian White has called out Anthony Joshua. Dillian White was involved in the fifth biggest fight of the year against Tyson Fury back in April, a week before a week before um, Triple G Canelo Part 3. Uh, Dillian White had told, has told Sky Sports that if the Fury fight doesn't get made between him and uh, Anthony Joshua, he said he would like to step in the ring with Anthony Joshua. Now, um, Tyson, on his Facebook post, uh, Instagram post, whatever, said that he would fight Michael Char if the buy with AJ didn't materialize. Now, Anthony Joshua... His promoter, um, Matchroom Boxing, Eddie Hearn. God, I think Eddie Hearn's a douchebag. I can't say it enough every episode. He's a douchebag, but he's the single greatest promoter in boxing right now, hands down. Eddie Hearns came out and said that he believes that Tyson was interested in a fight with uh, Manuel Char all along. Char's like uh, has like 20 knockouts. He's like 35 and... Three or thirty-three and four, somewhere in that ballpark. Like he's a he's a dangerous heavyweight. Uh, of course, Tyson's undefeated though, or not Tyson. Uh, Tyson Fury's undefeated, thirty-two and zero, and Dillian White um, hasn't fought since the TKO loss to Tyson Fury in at uh, Wembley. So I'll keep you updated on this. You know, I get excited about boxing talk. It's almost becoming like pro wrestling now. I got to get something boxing related in every episode. Um, but I'll keep you updated on this. I'm really disappointed because I wanted to see Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury um, square off. I think we might could still get it, maybe. Uh, but egos are being egos. The fact of the matter is, the, I, I, as much as I say this, as much as I say this, I should put it in the show opening. What do I always say? At the end of the day, sports is still a business. If there's money to be made, it will be made. Because at the end of the day, all sports is a business. So there's money to be made here from this fight. Millions and millions and millions of dollars. So right now it looks like it's off. But who knows? So, and I'll definitely keep you updated on that as long as I can. 
There's not as long as I can, I should say. I'll keep you updated on that as soon as I get information that's prevalent to it if something changes. But I would personally like to see Anthony Joshua against Tyson Fury. So I'm starting to talk I'm starting to talk a little bit more tennis on the show here. So I, I got something I want to touch on. Um, of course, I mentioned in our last Chronicles episode, a couple of them, about um, Roger Federer hanging it up. And I've said before that, you know, the, the three best growing up in my, uh, you know, it's been Andy Murray, Roger Federer, and Nokak Djokovic. Now, Andy Murray, I want you guys to understand, Andy Murray is my age. He's 35. You know, and he's he's climbed in that list alongside Djokovic and Roger Federer. Now, um, he's a former world number one. Well, because of what's come out about um, Roger Federer retiring and Djokovic, I said something about it this week, too. Uh, Andy has said he is not thinking about retirement right now. And the only reason they've brought that up is because he's played with like a metal hip for the last four or five years, three years, whatever. Um, you know, they he was asked by reporters if watching Federer's farewell tour and his last match at the Labor Cup had him think about retirement. And he said, I'm still playing competitive tennis. He said, I feel good. And I'm playing competitive against top players. Um, I'm not ready to hang it up yet. So, I, and, you know, his retirement, when he does retire, um, it won't be as, um, it won't be as good as what Fetters was. You got to think about this. Like, the four best, to my mind, like, you could possibly put these guys, no offense, Macker, you could put these four guys on Mount Rushmore men's tennis. Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray, Roger Federer. Uh, Roger's done. Nadal still playing. Fed, uh, Djokovic still playing. And I just, uh, I think it's great. Um, Roger's going to be missed. Uh, but we still got to watch the other three go for a while. And... Um, speaking of that, uh, Djokovic said he wants to be his biggest rivals by his side when he retires, you know, so it's just this, this Roger Federer thing has everybody talking about it and rightfully so, you know, we've talked about Roger in our previous episode, like I've mentioned numerous times, I think, uh, You know, Djokovic has won 21 Grand Slams, I think I said in the last episode. You know, Nadal's won 22. And uh, Federer's only won 20. So, and Djokovic and Murray and Nadal were all there to see Federer retire. Now, Djokovic should be my age as well, I think. To Djokovic, I'm not exactly sure where he's at. He's in his 30s. Federer's like 42, maybe. Djokovic is like 33, 34-ish. 
maybe 35. So, um, anyways, just, uh, yeah. I always end with these weird things like, anyways, moving on. So, um, yeah, you know, this is the shit that happens when Kurt's not with me. This is what's happened when Kurt's not here to talk back. I have nobody to talk back, and I don't know how to segue and transition. So, I miss you, puss. I know you're probably sleeping. You got to work tomorrow. I didn't tell you I was doing one, but... By the way, make sure you catch me and Kurt next week. We'll be back together covering uh, Super Bowl 43. Steelers Cardinals. Cheap plug. So let's talk a little um, COVID-19 and Canada and sports. Uh, News coming out of Toronto earlier this week was that the Canadian government... uh, was saying now that non-citizens entering the country, including athletes, no longer have to be vaccinated against COVID-19 starting October 1st. So that means that the vaccine mandate is being removed, that players from Major League Baseball should, uh, you know, the Blue Jays, you know, make the postseason, which I think they're close. I don't know. Did they make it this week or not? Uh you don't have to be vaccinated. The same goes for players coming in from the NBA and the NHL. Uh, as of right now, it's and it's been that way for a while, uh, non-vaccinated players are not allowed to cross the border into Canada. Uh, and per Canada law, unvaccinated foreign travelers who are allowed to enter Canada are currently subject to a mandatory test and a 14-day guarantee. Uh, so... You know, Justin Trudeau and his government, his cabinet have decided to uh, let it expire effective October 1st. So that's going to open things up um, for players. I mean, because that's been a, a hassle all season long across, you know, Major League Baseball and uh, the NBA and the NHL for the last couple of years. So that's good news. And. Kurt will love to hear that. You know how Kurt feels about mask mandates. So, so um, yeah, there we go. And then, see, Puss, I need you here for these transitions, these segues. I got a friend of mine who listens to the show. Uh, he doesn't listen every week, um, but he checks out an episode or two here or there. I think he, I think he streams it at least once a month, maybe at least picks some episode. He's a big-time Steelers fan. Uh, he's a big hockey fan. He loved the uh, he loved the Soul Hockey episode. Me and Kurt did the 2017 Stanley Cup Finals. He loved that, uh, and he loved the Top Ten Steelers episode. And um, shout out UTC, talking to UTC. Uh, I would like to, if I can convince him. Uh, I'm in the mood too to do a uh, just kind of a. An all encapsulating uh, NHL season preview. So I'm going to try to put that together in the works and see if he'd want to be a part of that because he's a huge hockey fan. Um, and not a lot of people are. And I've really started, and I've really, you know, got into hockey in the last 10, 15 years. Um, so I'm super pumped about that. I would, that would be one of my favorite episodes ever to, to do a, to do a hockey episode or maybe me and Kurt will do it either way. You know, Kurt likes a little bit of hockey now and then. So 
Uh, I'm going to see if I can put that together. I'll keep you guys updated about that. And another callback to earlier this year, uh, I want to talk about uh, Kurt Busch and NASCAR. And, and once again, um, for NASCAR not really being a contact sport, except for when you contact the wall at 180 mile an hour, uh, kudos to them for taking concussion protocol serious. Um, Kurt Busch has not raced since July. Uh, he had that crash at Pocono during the qualifying. Uh, he's missed a shit ton of races so far, at least 10 or 15 races. Uh, he's hopeful now that he's going to be able to return by the end of the season, but we're sitting here now with, I think, less than 10 races off the season because you know, Saturday's the 1st of October, so we're sitting here now with like 10, it, it's got to be 10 races or less in the season, I think less, uh, I haven't checked up on my, I haven't watched the NASCAR race in a couple of months, so I couldn't tell you, um, but kudos to NASCAR and what they're doing, and, and a lot of that's Kurt too, and kudos to these guys for taking their health seriously, because 10 years ago, 15 years ago, these guys would have got back in the car the very next weekend with their bell rung. They didn't give a damn. And Kurt's been adamant that he wants to be medically cleared and he wants to feel better before he gets back into the car. Um, he said he's got 20-20 vision in one eye, but his other eye is still not up to par. So he doesn't feel safe getting back in a car. And who can blame me? I wouldn't if I was an ass car. If a guy told me he can only see out of one eye perfectly and the other eye still kind of fucked up, I'm not putting him behind the wheel of a car that's going to run 180 mile an hour down into a damn wall. It's a suicide mission. So kudos to them for, for taking that seriously again. I think I even put that in the episode description when we talked about this. Kudos to NASCAR. Did you guys hear about this going on this week? Um, so I guess, and I'm, I must have missed the story when it originally came out. Uh, whenever it came, I, I have no idea when it came out. I don't know how long this has been in the news. But I guess there's some people and some companies in some deep shit with the Olympic Committee and law enforcement in Japan. There's, I guess, uh, according to this report that I saw yesterday or the day before, and I'm just now reading it. I mean, I've seen it in the headlines. I didn't bother to click on it. Um, there's some bribery allegations against another uh, Tokyo Olympics organizing committee member, and it resulted in a, in a third company. So apparently this has happened two other times. In a third company that sponsored the games, uh, as the prosecutors in Tokyo arrested uh, Hiroki Takahashi, if I don't know if I'm saying that right, it looks like I can definitely do the Takahashi because it's similar to Tanahashi. And Hiroshi Tanahashi is one of the greatest Japanese professional wrestlers of all time. That's right. I know my wrestling across the pond in every country. But uh, he's been arrested for the third time. So basically, these allegations, I guess the way I'm understanding this, and again, I wish I would have seen this story when it first came out, whenever it did. Um, there's payments dealing in about $15 million yen. Uh, and the equation to that is uh, about $104,000 in American money. They received from a company called Dieco Advertising based in Osaka, Japan. 
So the the rest came the same day as the funeral director for uh, as the funeral for uh, former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, uh, who was assassinated. We uh, it was all in the news, big news. Um, I guess there's the people are determined. They're trying to get to the bottom of the scandal. And uh, there's talks now that this is seriously going to hamper Japan's uh, bid because Japan's trying to bid to win the 2030 Winter Olympics. Uh, this Dieko company official was arrested. Uh, the company apologized for the arrest, for the trouble to their loyal customers and their shareholders. Now, this is the third company involved in this scandal after uh, Akoi Holdings. Uh, who was a company that dressed the Japanese Olympic team and a major Japanese publisher. Now, there's 50 companies that sponsored the Tokyo Olympics when they went down, and speculation is running that a string of arrests could continue for several months. Now, getting back to Hiroki Takahashi, he's a former executive in an advertising company, uh, and so he... You know, he's been uh, arrested multiple times on bribery suspicions, totaling almost $350,000. So this Akayo company that that made the the clothing for the Japanese Olympic athletes, uh, they make um, very cheap and affordable suits, which surprises a lot of people because it's the Olympics. They don't just put you in plain cloth for the Olympics. This is high-dollar shit in any Olympics I've ever seen. Uh, but they, they arrested him for the third time. He's been arrested multiple times on this and the amount of bribery each time they arrest him, it keeps going up to how much money was, um, involved in this case. Uh, and, and the, the figures keep going up yen wise, you know, in American dollars, we're well into millions of dollars not just for Takahashi, but for the other people that have been arrested in this case as well. Um, they're bringing in special prosecutors for this. The Olympic Committee's involved in this heavily, determined to get to the bottom of this. How dare you disgrace the Sacred Olympics? This is the most honorable sporting event in, in the world. It only happens every four years. Like, how fucking dare you? Now... Uh, Hiroki Takahashi himself has been tried to, um, people from all across the world have tried to reach this man for comment on these after he was out released on bail. He is not talking to any reporters. He's not answering any questions. Everything gets funneled through his attorney. Um, Tokyo, of course, as you know, hosted the Summer Olympics um, last year in 2021 because of the COVID-19 pandemic. They postponed them in 2020. Uh, Tokyo paid $13 billion, mostly taxpayer money, public funds, you know, um, of course, the, uh, as we've well seen throughout many cases, wherever in the world, uh, the burden on taxpayers is ridiculous when this goes down. So, uh, this is a very interesting story. Uh, I honestly want to know more about it. like bribery for the fucking Olympics and taking hush money and all this other, like this is the Olympics like how dare you like I know I can't be the only person listening to me 
thinking that right now. Like, this is, like, how dare you? It's the fucking Olympics. Like, really? Now, one piece of uh, local news, or at least local to us as a podcast. Of course, you know, most of our listens, uh, the majority of them center right here in the Tri-County area. Dubois, Perry, Spencer County here in southern Indiana. Uh, for those of you listening outside southern Indiana. Uh, I live particularly in Ferdinand, which is right on the Spencer, um, Dubois County line. I'm basically, I tell everybody, I'm basically in the middle. I'm about an hour either direction between Louisville, Kentucky and Evansville, Indiana. Now, while this is prevalent is there's been national sporting news made uh, uh, about this, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Churchill Downs, uh, they have agreed to buy Ellis Park right outside of Evansville, Indiana and Henderson, Kentucky. Uh, and they're going to buy it for $79 million in cash. I actually had this picked out. Kurt and I, as I had mentioned in our Hoffa episode this past weekend, Kurt and I were going to do a Weeknight Chronicles episode last week, but uh, something come up on my end. I wasn't able to do it. Um, so, And I had already had the notes done. Um, so, But I wanted to put this in this time just because it's local. So, uh, Enchantment Holdings LLC, which owns Churchill Downs, are going to uh, take Ellis Park's opportunity to build a track extension facility down in Owensboro. For those of you, again, unfamiliar with the area, uh, as far as southern Indiana and western Kentucky goes, the border, the tri-state as they call it, there's like three big hubs. There's um, Evansville, Indiana, Henderson, Newburgh, Indiana, uh, Evansville, Indiana, Newburgh, Indiana, Henderson, Kentucky. It's kind of one hub. Uh, Owensboro, Kentucky is the other hub. And then, of course, uh, in my mind, you can say Jasper, Indiana. That's just me. Uh, but, but the hub's right there. Henderson to Owensboro, Evansville to Owensboro is not that far. Half hour, 45 minutes. Um, Churchill Downs is going to start planning to build the Owensboro Racing and Gaming Track. Uh, it'll at the Town Square Mall down in uh, Owensboro, which I believe is uh, off of Frederica Street. I ain't been down. To, I ain't been down to Owensboro in about a year, so couldn't. Last time I was down, I think that's where it's at. But Miss Catfish Willies used to be down there in Owensboro. Shout out me, fat guy, making a plug. Catfish Willies. They moved from Owensboro off of Tamarack. They're down in Evansville now, in Virginia. For those of you local, best seafood you'll ever have. Screw Red Lobster. Go check out Catfish Willies. Uh, but it's, uh, there's going to be like 600 racing machines and, uh, betting there at this place. So everybody's excited. So now the CEO of, uh, Churchill Downs, uh, Bill Carson said that they're excited to welcome Ellis Park into the, the family. Uh, Ellis Park just celebrated like their 100 year anniversary earlier this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it's got a gaming facility, 300 racing machines in it. it. It's so cool to to see this, to see local news on a global national platform. And I just think that's awesome. Uh, I've never been to Ellis Park. I've always wanted to go. Uh, I believe it's more. It's definitely more affordable to get into than what Churchill is. I'm pretty sure. Uh, or do you even have to pay to get into a place like that? I don't know. Irregardless, 
it's uh, it's going to mean big business for the tri-state, southern Indiana, western Kentucky, uh, southeastern Illinois, the tri-state, as they call it. it it's going to mean big business, and it's just awesome, and it's so cool where we're at here in the middle of nowhere to see us make national headlines. So I just think that's awesome. I wanted to put that out there. That's pretty cool. So I guess I want to address one of the elephants in the sports room, and we have uh, touched this in the past on a Weeknight Chronicles episode back in the summer. I don't remember what episode it was. It's in our archives. Uh, We do so many of these Weeknight Chronicles now just to get a little more mileage out of the podcast that uh, I don't remember everything we talk about, so I try to put the biggest points in the episode title or description. Uh, Brett Favre. Let's talk about Brett Favre. God, I love me some Brett Favre. Brett Favre is involved in this uh, investigation going on into the state of Mississippi's welfare uh, organizations and spending. Um, And uh, the story goes that the Hall of Famer had received uh, $1.1 million in speaking fees for appearances he allegedly had never made, according to uh, Mississippi State Auditor, which we covered that in the archives. Now, Brett Camp said that he didn't know where the funds came from and paid the money back. Well, the state of Mississippi is saying, hold the fuck up. No, you didn't. You're lying. We need $228,000 in interest. Now, there's been reports that text messages have shown Favre was also involved in diverting about $5 million in welfare funds to a volleyball stadium. Okay, what am I talking about? Well, Brett Favre's got a charity called Far for Hope, and it donated about $130,000 or so to the University of Southern Mississippi's Athletic Foundation for a period of three or four years from 2018 to 2020. Now, during this same period, it was found out that Brett Favre had been trying to raise money for a new volleyball stadium at the university, where he played football at, of course, Southern Miss, and his daughter was on the volleyball team. Now, the funds for this stadium are involved in the largest public fraud case in Mississippi state history. This is also tied to, as we had talked about uh, in this episode, it's also got a pro wrestling attachment to it because of uh, the DiBiase family. Brett and uh, Ted... Tibiasi Jr. and just, you know, Google that. But now Far For Hope, uh, you know, they say they they provide support for disadvantaged and disabled children and breast care patients. Uh, Tax records showed that in 2018, the foundation gave Southern Mississippi like 60 grand. For every other organization had received 10 grand. In 2019, the University of Southern Mississippi's Athletic Foundation received... Uh, just under $47,000. The next highest donation was to Mississippi Special Olympics, which got around eleven grand. Then the next year, Favre donated like uh, a little over 26000 to the Southern Mississippi Foundation, and all their organization had received 10, around 10000 or so. So between 2011 and 2017, Brett Favre's daughter was enrolled at USM. Favre for Hope gave the athletic... Uh, foundation a combined like forty eight thousand dollars. 
tax records were not available for 2016. Uh, in 2015, when his daughter played volleyball at Oak Grove High School, the foundation gave the school's booster club 60 grand tax records show. You know, um, it came out uh, from Favre's attorney that, you know, he's been very generous to the University of Southern Mississippi. His daughter's played there. He's played there. He said those particular donations, I don't know much about those, according to his attorney. He said, but I know he's always given back, and that's not something a lot of athletes do. Now, these donations, uh, according to reporters, you know, it's it's shady. Um, now, um, there's a lady named Lori Styron, who is an executive director for a watchdog group called Charity Watch. She told ESPN that groups like Far For Hope have an ethical obligation to spend funds the way they're supposed to be spent. She said, quote, if charity told donors it was raising money for breast cancer, but then spends the rest of the resulting donations on an athletic facility, the people running the organization are not fulfilling their obligations to spend the nonprofit's donations the way the donors intended. Charities are not personal piggy banks for their founders to tap into for pet projects. Celebrity athletes do not get a free pass, and if anything, should feel more of a personal obligation to set a good example by operating not only legally within the rules, but ethically so. So, um, far as of right now, and, and I'm sure some of you have seen the memes about people just trashing Brett Favre. Favre's not been formally charged, criminally charged with anything. Uh, you know, Brett claims to know nothing about receiving welfare funds. And a lot of people are throwing shade at Favre. And, you know, a recent picture, I don't know how recent, I don't know when it was taken, but pictures have surfaced with Favre playing golf with Trump. And then uh, that led to people saying, you know, oh, maybe he's out there spending money playing with, it's just, it's stupidity. I mean, we don't talk a lot of politics on the show, and we're not going to, but uh, I don't think Brett Favre's a fucking crook, man. Um. You'll never convince me of that. I know I always say that celebrities, when they do wrong, celebrities and pro athletes and famous rich people aren't held to the same standards as we are because they have money and power to get away with things. But, you know, Brett's not getting away with nothing. I don't personally believe Brett is going to be charged with anything, but stranger things have happened. I will say this, if everything they're saying is true and Brett really did know about this and he used funds that was supposed to be for charity to help fund, you know, volleyball gyms and courts at his alma mater when his daughter was there, like, you are a legitimate piece of shit. But I like to think that you're not that way. But only time will tell. <laughs> but... um. I'll definitely keep you updated on this. This is one of the biggest stories in sports, and it's been ongoing since the summer. To me, it's one of the biggest stories, and it's one that I'm thoroughly invested in. So as more comes out uh, in the following weeknight episodes, we will 
update as much as possible. I check on this story at least once a week. I don't do it every day because nothing's going to break every day. But uh, I'll definitely keep updated if anything changes. So uh, one other thing I want to point out real quick, and then we're going to end the show on something big tonight. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I did a solo shot where the episode was titled Hoops Heavy. Uh, tonight could be titled uh, Golf Heavy or something similar or play on words because we got a shitload of golf stuff I, we should talk about. But uh, before I do that, I guess tonight uh, during Thursday Night Football, Dolphins quarterback Tua Tuglavoya, I don't know, how do you say it? Tuglavoya, Tuglavoya, I can never pronounce it. I always just call him Tua. Ever since he's played bad, it's just Tua. Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, he took a nasty sack. Uh, basically, just drove his his back of his head into the ground by the Bengals tackle. Uh, he looked like he fucking had a seizure, or not a seizure. He just his, his whole body just looks like stiff with rigor mortis. Uh, and he was on the field just laying there, not moving for like 10 or 15 minutes uh, before he was loaded onto a stretcher and then taken away. Um, they took him to the University of Cincinnati Hospital. Uh, he was he had feeling in all of his extremities, so he was good. Uh they expected him to be released tonight. Hell, he might have already been out back. He was traveling, supposed to travel back to Miami with the team tonight. Uh, I guess the reason this is kind of newsworthy is, uh, I don't know if you watched the game with Buffalo, where, by the way, they shocked Buffalo. Nobody saw that coming. He underwent concussion evaluations in that game after he hit his head on the ground and stumbled while trying to return to the huddle. Uh, the NFL Players Association is uh, requesting review of the NFL's concussion protocols following his quick return to the game. And then, of course, this happened tonight. So uh, I was riding home with my boss, my best friend, and we was talking about it on the way home tonight when he's probably up around Martinsville or Bloomington. And I said, we're just going to end up playing flag football. I said, give it five more years. It's going to be the National Flag League, or it's going to be the NFFL, the National Flag Football League. But, uh, you know, all jokes aside, it was a serious thing, but Tua looks to be okay. Um, so, yeah. Now for Meat and Taters. I've never said Meat and Taters on a weeknight episode, but let's talk some golf. Let is. Because it is golf, 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 golf. Uh, according to Roy McIlroy, golf is literally ripping itself apart right now as both tour feud with each other. The Saudi Blood Money Live Golf and the PGA Tour. Uh, Roy said that he doesn't want a fractured game. He said, I never have. You look at some of the other sports and what's happened, and the game of golf is ripping itself apart right now. It's no good for the guys on this side or on the live side. It's no good for anyone. There's a time and place for it. Right now, with where everything at, it's probably not the right time. 
Uh, and things are starting to really take shape up and ramp up as multiple golfers have went and challenged the bans that they have got from the PGA Tour for um, participating in a live golf event. Uh, Patrick Reed, who won the Masters, uh, I believe in 2018, in a come-from-behind win that nobody, well, I shouldn't say come-from-behind, nobody, nobody gave Patrick Reed a chance. I don't care. Uh, Patrick Reed has refiled a $750 million defamation lawsuit against NBC's golf. The lawsuit's accusing the Golf Channel, Golf Week, and its parent company of conspiracy, defamation, injurious falsehood, and interference. He filed this lawsuit back in August 16th. Uh, Kurt and I talked about that briefly off air. We never put it on tape. Uh, but the lawsuit's alleging that the defendants are co-conspirators for their anti-competitive contact and practices in order to destroy the upstart Live Golf Tour, Mr. Reed, and fellow Live Golf players in order to annihilate any competition for the PGA Tour, uh, even if it means violating antitrust laws and going to extreme scandalous measures to conspire to defame, falsely injure, and interfere with Mr. Reed or fellow Tour players. Uh, the news release said the defendants labeled Patrick Reed as a cheater, liar, thief, and a murderer, and someone who accepts blood money from terrorists. So, Patrick Reed, uh, of course, is a nine-time tour winner. He's earned uh, probably about $50 million a lifetime. $30, $50 million, somewhere in there. Uh, but the biggest thing about that is, of course... Uh, there's breach of contract talks going on now. So the PGA Tour, uh, earlier this week, or last week, whenever, has filed a counter-lawsuit against Live Golf, claiming that uh, it has interfered with the existing contracts that was had with PGA Tour members. The counterclaim was filed as part of the PGA Tour's response to Live Golf's antitrust lawsuit, which Live Golf, of course, um, is claiming that the PGA Tour illegally suspended players for competing in Live Golf events and wielding its monopoly power to squash the competition. Now, the tour claims, the PGA Tour, of course, is claiming that Live Golf has executed a campaign to pay players astronomical sums of money to induce them to breach their contracts with the PGA Tour. So. The PGA Tour is arguing that Live Golf officials have advised players that their agreements with the PGA Tour are unenforceable while entering into their own agreements with Live players that impose contractual restrictions on the Live players. So then shit really started getting uh, ramped up because the Live Golf CEO and Commissioner Greg Norman had apparently sent Sergio Garcia a text message claiming they cannot ban you for one day, let alone life. It is a shallow threat. Ask them to put it in writing to you or any player. I bet they don't. Happy for anyone to speak with our legal team to better understand they have no chance of enforcing. Now, in this motion, the PGA Tour claims that according to its handbook and tournament regulations, uh, which it allowed, it is allowed to suspend more than the two dozen players competing for live golf events, uh, contribute to its success and generates higher sponsorship and broadcast revenues, which in result in increased prize money 
and benefits through its players. Um, now, through this lawsuit, uh, Live Golf asked the court to invalidate those who, um, this is a direct quote, who, uh, from the PGA Tour, I should say, excuse me, uh, through this lawsuit, Liv has asked the court to invalidate these uh, legitimate provisions with a stroke of a pen after inducing remaining player plaintiffs to violate those same regulations with hundreds of millions of dollars in Saudi blood money. Or oh, Saudi money, excuse me, I didn't say blood money, that's me. Saudi money. Uh, the player plaintiffs have remained in the case. Eight of the original 11 players have withdrawn their names from this lawsuit already want to only enrich themselves in complete disregard of the promises they made the tour and its members when they become tour pros. Now, of course, one of the biggest names involved with Live Golf, of course, is six-time major winner Phil Mickelson. Uh, Phil Mickelson, along with uh, three other players, asked the judge to be removed as plaintiffs in the lawsuit. Uh, of course, uh, I'm not going to name all these names because there's none that really matter. Uh, besides Phil being removed. Now, the biggest name that has asked, the two biggest names that have asked to stay as plaintiffs in the lawsuit are Bryson DeChambeau and Matt Jones. Now, Liv Golf said yesterday, uh, the tour has made these counterclaims in a transparent effort to divert attention from their anti-competitive conduct, which Liv and the players detail in our 104-page complaint. We remain confident that the courts and the justice system will right these wrongs. Now, the U.S. DOJ, Department of Justice, has opened the investigation into the PGA Tour's uh, alleged monopoly in dealing with live golf and the players. Um, now, there is no actual injury to plaintiffs here and no violation of law, PGA Tour uh, attorneys said. Live by its own omission, has succeeded in attracting numerous elite professional golfers to participate in its new league. Live has held numerous events with full fields and has announced a full season for 2023. Both Live and the player plaintiffs uh, baked the financial cost of their suspensions into Live's exorbitant signing bonuses, making the player plaintiffs whole. Moreover, while Liv and the player plaintiffs continue to challenge the tour's media rights and conflicting events policy as anti-competitive, Liv imposes similar, indeed far more restrictive conditions on its players. Now, according to the PGA Tour, they said this case is not about unfair competition. If anyone is competing unfairly, it is Liv Golf and not the PGA Tour. Instead, it's a cynical effort to avoid competition and to free ride off the tour's investment into the development of professional golf. The plaintiff's allegations are based entirely without legal merit. So, to borrow a me and Kurt term that we have used multiple times, we are literally in a pissing contest right now to see whose dick is bigger. So, um, as far as what they were just talking about a minute ago is meteorites, well, here's some more golf-heavy news. Uh, Live Golf is refuting back a report from a couple days ago that it was close to a U.S. Uh, television deal in which it would buy time to be shown on Fox Sports 1. Golf Week came out with a story published in full Tuesday night and cited multiple sources it did not identify and saying that the agreement is still being finalized. Well, this would do go against then directly 
what uh, Commissioner and CEO of Live Golf, Greg Norman, told a Chicago radio station a couple weeks ago, which you can find that online. You should be able to. Uh, I did not listen to it. I skimmed over what was said in a um, an article on one of the sites. I actually probably might go back and listen to this after I upload this. Uh, Norman basically said that uh, we're talking to four different networks and live conversations where offers are being put on the table. They see what we what we are delivering. Now, Liv would issue a statement that Golf Week report was incomplete and inaccurate, and that is ahead of the schedule in its inaugural year, including uh, such areas as broadcast rights. Uh, as we have previously stated, Live Golf is just beginning its process, and it is in active discussions right now with several companies about broadcasting our brand and the league. The Live Golf League. We caution that no one should draw any conclusions about potential media rights given that we are still in the middle of these negotiations. Well, they reached out to Fox Sports 1, and Fox Sports has declined to make a comment. Now, the way this works, for those of you that don't know, that you don't understand TV rights, um, networks typically pay a rights fee to broadcast the sport. For example, the PGA Tour this year ex- began an expanded media rights deal for its tournaments with to be shown on CBS, NBC, Golf Channel, and ESPN+. That's a nine-year deal worth like 7 to $10 billion. So now Golf Week reported that Live Golf would pay for the time slot and be responsible for the cost of production as well as sold advertising. In some Time-by cases, the deal includes a few promotional spots to let the viewers know when it will be aired. But one thing you should keep in mind is that any deal, even a time-by, would give Live Golf what it needs, and that's viewership on American channels, forefront channels. Uh, The league has already paid enormous signing fees to attract the players, which you're probably looking at $150 million in signing fees. And each tournament's offering close to $25 million in prize money. Uh, They don't have a lot of corporate support. It's, you know, uh, getting the major networks would be a long shot because of the major networks having so many pre-existing relationships with the PGA Tour for the last 30, 40, 50, 60 years, whatever, you know. Uh... But Live Golf has deep pockets, as again, they're backed by Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Front, which, as we have talked about numerous times, the Saudi blood money here. Uh, now, the Wall Street Journal recently put out an article that uh, quelled any questions about this being streaming as... Amazon Prime Streaming and Apple TV were not interested in all in Live Golf. So I don't know if that was brought up, but they're quashing that. Now, Live Golf has been shown only so far on Facebook Live, its website, and on YouTube channel. And the numbers, they've been okay, you know. So uh, the series is going to be playing um, in October coming up in Thailand and going in Saudi Arabia. Before their inaugural season ends uh, in Miami for a $50 million team championship. Uh, so, you know, it's not clear right now if a television deal would start in Miami or if the wait till next year. Right now, you've, you've got a product 
that people obviously want to check out, if nothing else, just for all the the hype and the hoopla and everything going on with it. But you've got no place to air it. You know, here we go. Shout out me, Pro Wrestling Reference. WCW in 2001, before Vince McMahon bought it, they were getting ready to retool the company. And Eric Bischoff was going to buy the company that he had ran for years. Um, they were getting it together. And then they lost their TV spot. So then you're holding a product that nobody has access to. Because you can't air it anywhere. Because no network will put you on. So. Um, so. You know this is. Uh, this is an interesting story. This is to me is the top story this week. And, and it's. It's you know. The heart of everything. As far as this. Potential Fox Sports 1 deal, Fox Sports. I don't know what to think about that because uh, if you would even get on there to air your finals coming up, your your the end of your inaugural season next month, here we if this is October, Fox Sports 1, it's college football season. And as much as many people love golf, I guarantee you there's more people in this country that want to watch college football than golf, no matter what tour it's affiliated with. So, uh, but, you know, uh, just a refresher, Live Golf launched in June. Right now, it has 12 of the top 50 players in the world. Uh, you've got, and the most notable being, of course, Dustin Johnson. Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, and Cameron Smith. Uh, so, so now, uh, to start to wrap this up, I talked about Phil Mickelson a few minutes ago. Um, Phil took a little pot shot at the PGA Tour. And of course, as you know, Phil got hot water back in the summer, the spring. We've covered that in the archives. He, uh, he did some things he shouldn't have. He said some things he shouldn't have. Uh, it just coincided perfectly with him just giving the middle finger to the tour and joining Live Golf. Uh, and Phil took a little pot shot at the PGA Tour. Uh, and I just want to put this in here. Uh, where's that? I seen the I seen the uh, the tweet come out. Um, I seen the tweet come out yesterday. Damn it! I know it's in this article. Uh, oh, it, yeah, it's right here. He took a he took a little pot shot at Live Golf last week or uh, the PGA Tour last week. He said, uh, "For the last twenty or thirty years, the PGA Tour has had the best players in the world. That'll never be the case again. Live Golf's here to stay." So Phil Mickelson effectively telling the PGA Tour to go fuck themselves. Uh, where am I at on this PGA Live Golf thing? Um, I keep cracking jokes. I, I say Saudi blood money anytime we talk about it. And maybe that is true. It's backed by Saudi blood money, and that's that's taboo, and that's a no-no. But at the same time, I don't believe the PGA Tour can be suspending guys for playing on another... I, I don't know. I just I don't believe bans, I should say. You know, you can't come back. The, when this all started, the whole premise was that all these guys were going to be playing on the Live Golf Tour, and they were going to come back to playing the majors. 
and now they're putting the kibosh on that. And it, it's essentially, as Kurt and I have used this analogy over a lot of things on the show, it's a, it's a pissing contest. They're trying to theoretically see whose dick is bigger. And it's childish, it's immature, but it, it makes for compelling and entertaining news. Um, so I definitely, anytime any information about Liv gets brought in, I will do my best to, to bring it to the attention of you guys. Uh, but as far as that goes, that pretty much wraps up the, uh, the impromptu weeknight chronicles edition here of steel toes and scoreboards. I do want to thank a minute to uh, shout out some special people. Uh, please check out the after two beers podcast. Uh, as I've mentioned numerous times, we're going to be doing collaborations with them three or four times a year. Now, uh, Dutch and Gibbler and their producer, Kevin. And of course, uh, Dutch and Gibbler significant others. Um, AJ and JP, Josh Ponder. Shout out my boy Ponder. Uh, Kurt and I are very fortunate to have met these people. And who would have ever thought that earlier this year, just a, a little back and forth love fest and bromance on Twitter would lead to what this has become. And we cannot thank them again. Uh, our numbers have steadily increased over the last two or three months. And we believe that's a direct result of them. I'm still having trouble uploading our episode uh, you can check out our recording with them. Uh, if check out wherever you get your podcast. Go to look for After Two Beers Podcast. The episode is simply titled Steel Toes and Scoreboards. Now, we did. they recorded an episode with us with their equipment. I'm having trouble converting the audio. I will do my best to get that uploaded. But I might have to call in some backup from the executive producer because we've never really had an executive producer except for me. Uh, but I'll have to, the man with the nice studio, Kevin, and uh, get some help. Uh, and I also like to thank all of our quote unquote sponsors. Uh, we don't really shout them out weeknight episodes, but these are all a great crunch of people that have uh, been supportive of us over the last uh, year and a half. And that would be Nana's Aromas LLC, Glary Guitars, Main Street Designs LLC, Beauty and the Beard Company, uh, Black Rifle Coffee Company, JDJ Log Builders. Did I say Glary Guitars? Anyways. Uh, you know, in the new one, we protect two sign guys. I need to make an, a post and tagging everybody on Facebook is what I need to do. Uh, but as, uh, as far as what's coming down the pipe here, I got, how many minutes I got? I have eight minutes. So like I said, on these mobile episodes, when we record off Podbean, I can only record a 90 minute episode and we're up to a minute or an hour and 22. So I need to start tidying this up. But, uh, Kurt and I, we're getting into October, um, I'm, we might try to do uh, an hour episode or an hour and a half episode. Might do a baseball postseason baseball preview. Uh, Ethan and I have the NBA preview coming up. I'd like to shout out my boy Ty C. Tyson, I love you, dog. Um, shout out Tyson and see if he wants to be a guest or do an episode with me where we uh, where we do an NHL season preview. That's fun. Uh, Kurt and I have. A laundry list of World Series. So, so one thing I did, and I'm going to do it next year. Uh, I went back up to 75 years. I went back and looked at every World Series per five and ten year increments. So, I went back all the way up to 75 years. Any World Series ending in a two, or any World Series ending in a seven. So, you know, 75, 70, 65, 60. Found some damn good World Series on these anniversary runs uh, that I'd still like to pick a couple and do this year. Uh, next year, of course, would be 
anyone ending in a three or an eight in 75 years, 70 years, there's some great ones coming. We'd like to cover that. We're going to start doing more uh, Super Bowl coverage. Um, it's without question, other than our outliers, which has so far been Hoffa and Waco and Ruby Ridge, uh, our biggest hitter sports-wise is the World Series recaps. So we're definitely going to continue doing those. But I'd like to branch out and maybe do Super Bowl recaps. We've only done one. It was pretty well received. We're fixing uh, a week from tomorrow, God willing, knock on wood, we're going to do another Super Bowl recap, which is one of my top ten Super Bowls, if not top five all time. Super Bowl 43, 2008 Steelers, 2008 Cardinals at Tampa, Santonio Holmes reception in the end zone, uh, James Harrison, who was Defensive Player of the Year that year, that 100-yard uh, touchdown interception return. Um, and then, of course, we do have to do Part 3 of our Government Overreach Series, uh, which would be Oklahoma City bombing 1995, and Kurt wants to do Killdozer. So we've got, you know, two and a half months left to go in the year, so we've got a lot of content we're going to roll out, and I'm super excited about that. But seriously, I want to thank you guys for every listen, and please... Whoever is listening to this, if you are our devoted listener from California, I can't tell how many people is listening in the state of California. It looks like just, um, it looks like, what I say listening, we have one devoted listener that is consistently purging the catalog. Um, please let us know. Send me a direct message on Twitter at the Atkins Asylum. Look for the podcast on Twitter, STSB underscore podcast. Look for our Facebook page, uh, Steel Toes and Scoreboards Podcast. Look at my personal Facebook page, Jared Atkins. Let us know who you are so we can thank you. Because you've really knocked it out of the park lately. And our Georgia listener, somebody down in Georgia, is purging the shit out of the podcast too. We would like to give you guys a shout out on there. But all right, guys, that's going to wrap it up for a Weeknight Chronicles episode, uh, just an impromptu one. I had a lot of fun doing this. I wish Kurt was here so I could have segued and transitioned a lot better. It sucks. And uh, we appreciate you guys' support. Please like and share the podcast. Uh, we do have a Patreon. I'm working on updating that. I put it together a month or two before we went to Richmond, and I, it, I had inexperience putting one together. I need to go back and retool the benefits and the rewards for the contributions but, uh, you know, check that out at patreon.podbean.com uh, slash steel toes and scoreboards. Or I said that wrong. Patreon.steel toes scoreboards. I don't know. I'll figure it out. I don't even know it now. It never gets used. But we do have a Patreon. Just look for look for us on our Podbean app. And uh, please like and share the podcast. I'm sorry I'm rambling, guys. But I'm, uh, I've had an awesome time recording. I'm so amped up. Um, it's taken me a year and a half, me and Kirk, to build this. Steel Toes and Scoreboards brand, and we're finally starting to reap the benefits of it now, and we can't uh, thank you guys enough. So, for Kirk, uh, Kirk Kelly, I'm Jared Atkins. We appreciate the support. Love you guys, and we will see you soon.